I'm Dave Cauley, investigative journalist and host of the podcast, Cold. In October of 1985, a woman named Cherie Warren left work at a busy Salt Lake City office. To meet her estranged husband at a downtown auto dealership. She never made it home. Cherie's car surfaced weeks later in Las Vegas. In the parking lot of a hotel casino. No one knows how it got there. Strange. It was strange. Both Cherie's estranged husband and her boyfriend raised suspicion for investigators. I kind of thought that he might have done something. But no arrests were ever made. In Cold Season 3, we dig into double lives, make new connections in the case, and examine the difficulty raised by reasonable doubt. We want answers just as much as anyone else. They have creeps like that now, too, so nothing's changed. That's the new Cold Season 3, The Search for Cherie. Now available anywhere you get your podcasts. It's time to get outside. This is KSL Outdoors. Brought to you by Trax Power Sports Rentals. Two hours of stories and information on hunting, fishing, and high adventure. KSL Outdoors with Tim Hughes on KSL News Radio 102.7 FM and 1160 AM. Welcome back. Final half hour uh, coming up here of the show for another week. KSL Outdoors Radio. At the top of the hour, it is. Uh, the Greenhouse Show with Tom and Maria. Just a reminder, they're with you till 10 this morning, not 11. Why? We have Cougar football. They're uh, in Tampa, Florida to take on the uh, University of Southern Florida. And I know that confused you a little bit, Russ, because uh, I'm headed out of yeah. town. Navi's already on his way to Florida, and you're saying, which ball game are you going to? <laughs> uh, but well, it's, you're not going to try to go to both, though, right? No. And, you know, the funny <laughs> – well, you wouldn't have time. I was going to say the funny yeah. thing is, uh, time-wise, the BYU game will actually be wrapping up almost uh, to the minute when the Utah game should be getting underway. But they're both in Florida oh. to start the season. Uh, BYU in Tampa and Utah up in Gainesville to take on uh, University of Florida in the swamp, which is 88,000 crazy <laughs> people doing the gator chomp uh, up there. So it's going to be going to be wild. Going to be a great experience. Yeah. All right, I told you we were going to make contact with our buddy uh, Charlie Jennings, who is on the phone with us here. Have you been receiving all of these taunts from him about his rides up the uh, canyon on the mules lately? Yeah, I catch a few of them. I, I think I have seen most of them, yeah. You're just yeah. you're teasing us, Charlie, right? <laughs> well, I want to get you out there on, and get both of you out there in the saddle. You'd enjoy it. It looks like it's a great time. Before we talk about uh, your recent experiences and where you're headed, let's talk about the ins- important stuff, and that is your peaches. Um, they, they, they look delicious. <laughs> oh, man, they're awesome. They're really good. It's just so fun to live here in Willard along the fruit strip here, and uh, yeah. we've got about four peach trees, and they're coming on just right now. So, yeah, they're awesome. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, another another, <laughs> another post that he put on his Facebook page of these giant. Now, what variety are they? That is called a Rosa peach. Um, when we moved here to Willard eight years ago, I I didn't know anything about peaches. And they said, oh, yeah, there's over 50 varieties of peaches. Oh. So I guess I'm officially a peach snob yeah. now. So. I, <clears throat> anyway. I remember your peaches, Charlie, now that I think of it. We were we were yeah. eating peaches up in the uh, boulders. Okay, 
Yes, yes, we you would have. Peaches that with was you. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That's right. Well, yeah. Well, they look they're delicious. wonderful peaches. Yeah, yeah, they really look delicious. But uh, that's just Thank a little. You. That's a little tease to the greenhouse show, which is going up after the top of the hour. <laughs> All right, so let's talk about uh, your love affair with these mules. Now, one of the last one of the last videos I saw was a, a ride up Logan Canyon with the Wasatch Front uh, Backcountry Horseman chapter. H- how did that go? Oh, it was great. Uh, it's funny. I have to laugh what you said there because one of my friends in St. George said, "Charlie, you're having a love affair with those mules." <laughs> and you said, "You said the problem with that is." <laughs> true. Well, it's, it's true. such a good, <laughs> it's such a stress relief uh, just to go. Uh, I ended up joining joining the Wasatch uh, Front chapter, the Backcountry Horsemen. Great people. Um, I think they've got like 103 members. And anyway, they had this scheduled to ride up to Old Ephraim's Grave and uh, Logan Canyon, and so we met at the trailhead at. Oh, what was it, 9.30 or something like that? And we saddled up and took off, and it was a 14-mile ride. And um, it was quite challenging because we were going up switchbacks and just doing a lot of different terrain, gaining elevation, and then we were coming down the face of one of, uh, of a mountain. Um, there was quite the pucker factor there <laughs> as I was leaning back in the saddle, and I was having visions of uh, – now, what's that Australian movie? I can't think of it right now. The, yeah. The one where he's leaning back in the saddle. Anyway, <clears throat> uh, I had to lean back and put my heels down. And But you know what? The mules, it was kind of neat to watch them because they were not dilly-dallying around, looking around. They were focused. And mules can see they're all four feet at the same time, and they were just really in the zone. And they just don't slip. They know where their feet go, and and they're just really safe. It was good. Wait, wait, wait! It it takes GPS technology for the new hybrid cars to do that. <laughs> how, how does a how does a mule with its eyes in the front of its head see all four feet at the same time? Actually, what they told me is that the mule's eyes are positioned differently than a horse's, and they're they're more to the side since they're a prey animal. And they literally can see all four feet, uh, all four hooves at the same time. And so they really, they, they've always got a good reputation of, of knowing where their feet are and, and where to place. And when we were going down this steep uh, uh, mountainside, uh, they just didn't slip. They were very carefully placing their feet, and it was it was very safe. Russ, I'm going to guess the last time you were in a saddle was probably out at Antelope Island when we did the Buffalo Roundup. And somewhere I've got video of you getting up on that big old boy. I was a big horse. <laughs> it was a big horse. You know, I, I think that horse was built for Russ. Remember, I had to go find big boulders to get on just to get on him when we did. got off. They, yeah. did. they did, actually. And there was some concern about which what. Which horse is going to get saddled with this guy? And, and they, you know, they found a monster. I, I know what the deal was there. This was They were just messing with me the whole time. Is that um, what it was? Because I, I don't think they were going to send that horse out at all. <laughs> and, oh, here's the guy for that horse, yeah. you know. <laughs> yeah. I mean, am I right? Was that last time you were in a saddle? Probably. I, I think pretty much. Yeah, that was a while yeah. ago. So... Charlie, these uh, backcountry horsemen, not mule men, actually 
will associate with riffraff mules like you guys? Apparently so. As I was settling my mules, there was one member that came right by. He goes, well, it's good to see I'm not the only one sitting on my ass today. <laughs> That's funny. <laughs> um, one quick question. Once you set the mule, and again, horses will do this too. Once you set them on the path, do they pretty much take care of the rest of it for you? Or are you having to tell them where to go, particularly when you're on a trail like the one I'm watching on the video? It's kind of interesting. Uh, if they're in front, they kind of go into reconnaissance mode where their ears are forward and they're looking from left to right because they're looking for the boogeyman, you know, to jump out from the bushes, actually, because they're a prey animal. And they're always on the lookout for a predator, what's going to eat them. And uh, if you get other horses or mules in front of them, then they tend to relax because then they know that whoever's in front of them is going to get eaten first. <laughs> so, oh, That's interesting. Well, I've enjoyed this whole thing. Uh, we only have about two minutes here. I, I want to make sure that okay. we get a little plug in for what you're about to do. It won't be your first trip to the Wind Rivers, but you are planning on checking in with us, I think, uh, with a satellite. Absolutely. Yeah. Uh, so over the next few weeks, we're looking forward to uh, finding out more while you're out there. Why the Wind Rivers? Why is this such a love for you? Just a magical place. It's rugged, uh, a lot of granite, high elevation, just beautiful peaks, great fishing. Uh, I've developed good relationships with some people that I won't say who I have that provide good information on where the golden trout are. But uh, there's some great fishing up there, and, and I just I know where to go. So, Russ, I don't remember. Have you been to the Wind Rivers? I have multiple times. Um, you would have to go to Alaska. Now, I have to say Colorado's beautiful. Utah's beautiful. The Sierras in California are gorgeous. But you would, to get a, uh, something like the Wind Rivers, you would probably have to go to Alaska. It is the most gorgeous place on the face of the earth. It's really pretty. You know, it's really pretty. And there's so much of it. That's a hundred mile range. Where's yes, your, where's your access point, Charlie? Uh, we're going to go in on the east side, um, over by Lander. Um, the trailhead that we're going in is going to be the Worthen Meadows trailhead. Uh, I did hear back from one of my sources in the state, and he said a, a guy came out of the lake that he was fishing at and caught a twenty one inch golden. And had pictures to prove it. Woo! So, nice. yeah, we're, we're going for Goldens. That's nice. How far in are you going to go? Oh, I can't say that. It's uh, it's going to be less than 15. <laughs> you know what? You're turning out to be more of a fisherman than I actually thought you would be uh, with all this secrecy. I can't, yeah. tell, I can't tell you where I get my intel, and I can't tell you how far I may be going. But we're going to go fish for the Goldens. We won't talk about where those Goldens are living at the moment. Sheesh. What are we going to talk to you about next time? I don't know. Well, we all wish we had the time to go uh, do it with you. Maybe one of these days. Charlie, thank you. You know what? Yeah. Next time we go down to Bryce Canyon, I'll keep you posted. That is something that I think uh, you would enjoy doing. So just keep that that in mind. That I would love to do, too. Yeah. All right, Charlie Jennings, thank you, sir. Thanks for having me on the show. It's always a pleasure. Two friends taking pictures of the rising full moon on a summer night. Two teenage kids doing what teenage kids do 
when a stranger with a gun and a death wish changed everything. It was violent, it was senseless, and I will never understand it, I will never accept it. I'm Amy Donaldson, and unfortunately, we're all too familiar with stories about how violence shatters lives. But what we rarely see is how they are rebuilt. In a new podcast, The Letter, we relive tragedy, but only so we can hear the rest of the story. The struggle to reclaim lives, the realities of grief, and the possibilities of forgiveness. I believe in miracles. Sometimes I thought, there are no miracles. Yeah, there are, and this is a big one. Follow The Letter at theletterpodcast.com or wherever you get your podcasts. Final couple of minutes of the program here, and I just want to revisit uh, one of the big stories of the day, which broke, and again, we're recording here on a Wednesday, but this story broke just before we got into the studio to record today that UDOT has uh, opted for the gondola um, option here, the project, to uh, look at helping the future of Little Cottonwood Canyon. Russ, not everybody's going to be happy about this, obviously, and there's going to be lots of discussion with a 45-day uh, comment period that's coming up, and then they hope to make a final decision in October. But both of us are kind of leaning towards that ourselves. And I'm a skier, you're not, but for uh, anybody that's headed up the canyon and been stuck up there or just doesn't like canyon driving, I think it's going to be a beautiful opportunity. Yeah, it really is. This this should be really nice. Uh, hopefully we both live long enough to see it finished. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Well, they're saying, so a decision yeah. to be made this year, There'll be two or three years of the project planning, you know, doing all of the um, logistical work on how this all happens, and then the price tag that's going to be put on it, which we always know the price tag up front ends up being more somewhere down the road. But Josh Vanjura is the project manager for UDOT, and shortly after the announcement came, he jumped on with Dave Indujanovic. I just wanted to play part of his comments to uh, sort of map out what the plan is here as far as we know it, and uh, see if you like the idea on the other side. Hold on. So there were actually two gondola proposals. There was the Gondola A alternative where the base station was located in the Little Cottonwood parking ride and all users would park at a remote mobility hub and then take a bus to the base station. And then Gondola B offers the same service. However, the base station is about three-quarters of a three-quarters of a mile northwest of the mouth of the canyon off of North Little Cottonwood Road. Under Gondola B, there would be 2,500 parking spaces off of North Little Cottonwood Road and the Gondola Base Station. So people would park their car, walk over to the Gondola Loading Station, and a 35-person cabin would depart approximately every two minutes. After we issue the record of decision, you know, we've released the final EIS today, and then we'll have the 45-day comment period, and we anticipate the record of decision this coming winter. And then following that, we expect that it'll take two to three years to design, procure a contractor, and then construct the gondola if funding is available for that step. The capital cost listed for the gondola does include common components for all alternatives. And like you mentioned, that's widening Wasatch Boulevard, snowsheds, and trailhead improvements that represent $160 million 
in all of the alternatives that are discussed in the final EIS. John, who ultimately operates the gondola? Is it, if there are buses involved, that makes my brain say, well, this is maybe UTA. Does this fall under UDOT? How does the the governance of sort of not just completing the Mm -hmm. project but then operating it ongoing, where does that fall? So no operator has been identified in the final EIS. Um, It might be UDOT, it could be UTA, or it could be a private vendor that's contracted through the department. All right, so that is Josh Vanjura, the project manager for UDOT, EIS being the Environmental Impact Study. And I was wrong about the number of people that could get into each of the cabins, as they're calling them, is 35, not 45. And that three-day window, uh, Russ, is not just for the design of it, but it sounds like they think they could get the whole thing done in that period of time. So when you talk about our lifetime, you wow. better live longer than three years. So That's awesome. From, okay. what he, from what he said, uh, does it make you look forward to it more, less? You still have questions? No, I don't. Um, it, it sounds about like what I have heard, bits and pieces all put together. So, uh, you know, I still like the idea. Uh, but that is that's a shorter window to actually complete the project than I originally had thought. If they could actually oh, yeah. get it done, let's see, twenty twenty, let's say at the end of uh, twenty twenty three, four, five, end of twenty five, headed into twenty six, that would be uh, re- really something. And, and these things have become you know big tourist attractions all over the world for those places that have done it. And uh, I would expect it to be the same here. I'm sure we'll get some responses from our listeners on our Facebook page. We'd love to have your comments, so uh, look us up at KSL Outdoors Radio and leave your comments. We'll talk more about this on next week's show. All right, Russ, if uh, people out there are looking for a sat phone, how do they get you? Hey, just call us, 801-450-8317, or get hold of us on on our website, uh, skycallsatellite.com. It's been a great show. Thanks for hanging out with me, buddy. Uh, have Have a good Labor Day weekend. Have a safe trip. Thank you. Uh, and we'll be back. Yeah. At, we'll be back at it next week. Uh, don't go away though. Two hours at the greenhouse, and then boy, lots of talk of college football today. We have two hours of special coverage. It's beginning at ten o'clock. Uh, Mitch Harper will be hosting that. We'll take you to pregame activities at noon. The kickoff for the Cougs and Southern Florida coming up here, starting at two o'clock on the home of the Cougars, KSL News Radio. Have a good weekend. It's the story of an American held in a dark Venezuelan prison. Then all of a sudden, they all kind of lined up. They pointed their guns at me. And this is the point where I thought, I'm going to die today. I'm Becky Bruce. I spent a year working on Hope in Darkness, which now has more than 2 million downloads. Find it on kslpodcast.com or wherever you listen to podcasts.